I was uh, watching the Emmys last night and we typically turn it on in the background. Like, you know, award shows are not that entertaining, Mm -hmm. but uh, Juno Temple and Hannah Waddingham were both nominated for supporting actress and Hannah Waddingham won. I saw her speech and that's all I saw of the whole thing. Her speech was, was great. Like it kind of just, you felt like you're watching a bit of extension of the characters just a little bit because she was excited and she, you know, shouted out Juno Temple Mm -hmm. and said like, I wish I could break off a piece of this and give it to you because Rebecca doesn't exist without Keely. Um, So it was great to see that they continue to share that camaraderie that they appear to share in the show. And then um, right after that was the best supporting actor. And there were eight nominees for best supporting actor. Four of those nominees were from Ted Lasso. And two were from Saturday Night Live or something. (laughs) Uh, Brett Goldstein won for Roy Kent and then just gave like, you know, the most Roy Kent speech where he's like, they said, I specifically told me I can't cuss. So this is going to be a a fucking short speech. (laughs) Uh, And then like half of his speech was completely censored. I had to look it up to listen to it. Then Jason Sudeikis won for best actor in a comedy. And then they won for uh, best comedy series. And uh, so the entire cast and crew got up there and accepted that. It was a lot of fun. Um, I love like how much people seem to love Jason Sudeikis within the cast. Like just the the respect and admiration he gets just based on that the, the Hannah Waddingham speech. But it was, yeah, just it, it's, na- it's heartening that there seems to be a, an actual amount of real Ted Lasso in him. thing because what a what a dark and uh serious ride we've been on so hey everybody welcome in to ted last bros episode number three jeff and will here hey will what is g- give me our, our rundown on this episode our, right. our credit the the episode number the name all that jazz season two episode nine beard after hours um after the semifinals defeat Coach Beard sets out an all-night odyssey through London in order to collect his thoughts. And what a wild and surreal <laughs> episode. Uh, I, I kind of was left like, this is going to be an interesting episode to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, really, you know, last couple episodes, we've thought, all right, here, where, where did we end last week's episodes to pick up where we've left off? And really all we need to know is, the end of last week's episode that we talked about where, you know, Beard, uh, Coach Beard left to go shake things off because um, we really don't spend any time with almost anybody else until until the very end of the episode. So we are we are on this ride with Coach Beard um, the entire episode. I thought it might be good for us to just start at the beginning and and work our way through the episode and what we what our takeaways were and uh, what we got out of it. So kind of the first little chunk of the episode, I'll, I'll give kind of a synopsis of what we saw and then maybe we can stop and talk that through a little bit. If yeah, that works for you. Before, totally. But before we get into that, I had a thing. So we mentioned it last week on the podcast, but 
the ending of the last episode had a real air of foreboding in it to me. Um, and I mentioned I was like pretty concerned he was going to die just because it seemed like his passing, possibly suicide or like drug uh, overdosing or something would kind of tie into Ted's journey a little bit. So that was a thing. I, it made enough sense to me that I was kind of worried about it. I mentioned that to my mom and she was like, oh, that didn't occur to me. But I was just thinking like maybe we were going to get into some substance abuse stuff. Um, but for Apple streaming services, I opened up the episode to watch this episode and God bless you, Apple. You ha already have the up next week preview and the preview image is Rebecca standing there in a funeral gown. Uh, and there's a couple other people with like funeral attire. And I was like, don't show me images for a week <laughs> after an episode when I clearly have just, I can't even have seen this yet. Um, so I went into it like no weddings and a funeral. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I would, I would prefer the weddings for this, but anyway, it was just, uh, that was, I went in with this kind of assumption that he was going to die because of my fear combined with that image for the next yeah. episode. So Apple, all streaming services, be careful what you're showing folks. Cause it impacts their journey through a thing. Did, did you get the chance to watch the episode twice? Cause I only yeah. saw that when I saw the episode the second time for this specific episode, I, I, I wanted to tell you that I had watched it, but I didn't really want to like lead anything in any certain way. I didn't want to like be like, well, that was a dark ride or like glad we made it out of that one or anything. So I, I just didn't say uh, anything because I it didn't want to impact anybody's journey. But yeah, I, I watched it on Friday. Um, nice. But yeah, I, uh, anyway. I, I have trouble with that as well. Right. Cause it's like, how much are we going to, we need to save this as much of this as possible for our conversation but then there's all this stuff bouncing around um, but it ends up working out pretty well and i'll talk about it with sarah for a little bit she didn't like this episode at all i'll just say that oh, um yeah it's it polarizing episode i could very easily see it in the bottom two of the season for most people yeah um and it was a lot for it was a lot for me to process and i would go through this temptation of like there's a lot here that I'm missing and I think we'll get through some of that. So I'm curious to see what you picked up and what we just completely, uh, what we can, we completely missed, but, you know, typically I'm tempted to look up all of the references and things that I might've missed, but I sure. want to go into this conversation as kind of pure as possible. Um, the one thing that I did inadvertently pick up is the title uh, of this episode and just even maybe the structure of the episode is in reference to a Martin Scorsese movie, a lesser known Martin Scorsese movie, After Hours, that I've never seen. I've seen a lot of Scorsese movies. I haven't I've never, seen it either. Never seen it. But I would say that maybe that was the first movie to set up this kind of style of storytelling or this kind of one wild night. Mm. Um, but, you know, we've obviously seen it throughout the years. A lot of times it's like a buddy comedy or things like that, like the hangover yeah, American or graffiti. things like that, where it's kind of very much that wild ride of like one crazy thing after another all night long, you know, building up crazier and crazier um, as we go. So I, I saw that homage. I'd be interested to see after hours or even hear from like, um, I'd be willing to bet that our friend Sean, who's a cinephile has seen after hours and can probably point head. out a lot of, uh, a lot of things that are, direct homages to the Scorsese movie. Yeah. Um, so right out the gate, we begin with uh, Coach Beard leaving Wembley Park. Uh, he rides the train with all the Man City fans. 
we get a different rendition of the song, a lot more of a like a somber version of the song as we see him kind of just staring off into space and um, you know, dealing with his inner thoughts and gets into kind of a staring contest with a kid before the mother <laughs> looks horrified and he realizes, oh, I need to stop doing that. I'm terrifying looking. Um, and then we move on to Beard getting to his apartment. He turns on the TV and the commentators are talking about the match. Uh, I thought it was funny. They incorrectly identified the Ed Norton movie about curb stomping as Moonrise Kingdom. Um, oh, I didn't actually. I just I only remember them mentioning Moonrise Kingdom two times or you know, both times I watched it. But I didn't realize they were referencing the curb stomping scene from. Yeah, Marshall they said like that was a that was a that was a bad as beating as, uh, you know, Ed Norton in that movie the, where there's the curb stomping. And then the guy says, oh, is that Moonrise Kingdom? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah. Um, very different movie than American History X. Um, we hear, hear them talking and basically, you know, spell out what we talked about last week. They lay blame on the coaches and uh, talk through that a little bit. And then they begin to kind of address Coach Beard directly as we enter the most or the first, I would say not most, the first surreal portion of the episode where we kind of start to question reality a bit or the storyteller or what what we're seeing is what we're seeing real obviously it's not real but what you know what level of into beard's psyche are we seeing here so what do you think of that first kind of bit of the episode riding the train all the way to beard getting to his apartment i think that you know there's several interesting things in that scene first like him struggling with the keys in the door and i think a big part of this episode is there's like several metaphors or through lines for it, but him constantly losing his keys and then other people finding them for him. Um, and then the way that that ultimately has a climax. So I think that that was an interesting bit. What I, a small thing that I really liked in that scene is when he gets home, he opens the door and the painting or the, there's a giant photo next to his door. And it's one of the giant pieces of art from burning man, the burning man festival that happens. And that, just kind of says a lot about him to me like there's just this who is this guy like he's a guy who goes to burning man he's you know ended up being able to coach a game kind of on mushrooms like he he's like a chess master yeah but it speaks to you know burning man has a lot of connotations associated with it and it's a lot of sort of like loose laws and drug abuse is a big part of it so just this idea of like gosh what how deep does this aspect of his character go? And and then, yeah, the the bit where the television, the commentators start talking specifically to him, I thought was interesting because it does, there's later on in the episode, a really fantastic quote about, you know, like he, he seems to really hate himself. He would rather punish himself than accept the love and support of the, you know, the people around him. So that we're really learning that he has these, real battles with self-love that are going on um and i think a lot of that oftentimes like kind of stems down to internalized voices of being critical of ourselves so i thought it was really interesting to kind of provide uh, an external manifestation of that in the form of those two people but then it also concerned me because i was again going through this whole thing with this fear for his safety because i was like I, i'm not going to be able to handle if fear dies but to have have this cause for concern that he really does have some mental health stuff going on, like a really critical internal voice. Um, Just hearing people talking about him and being critical, but then kind of making it personal as well. um, And saying like they become to be hating him. 
yeah, I thought it was a, a, a powerful introduction to a through line for the episode, which is he's really dealing with some pretty intense negative thoughts. And I thought that was a pretty good way of uh, bringing it up. But I also kind of loved the comical nature with which he was like, shut up. And then he's like, you know, grabs his coat and leaves the apartment. And I kind of, and well, obviously I think we'll get, get back into it as we get through the rest of the episode, but it kind of goes back and forth a bit between just being maybe more serious of like, does he really have a lot of, you know, he, he has a lot of internal issues, but then also just maybe some struggling and grappling with um, the, the loss and the defeat, both at the, of the game as, and um, as we will find in this next scene, um, when coach when, uh, visits the bar and we find out that Jane and Beard broke up again. And it's because Beard said that he loves her and she won't reciprocate that feeling. We don't really know much beyond that, but it seems like she's not, she doesn't want to not be with him. Um, and, you know, we get uh, May giving him a bunch of shit as well for the game, yeah. um, which we get a lot of throughout the entire episode. So it's like that, the idea of the game being just such a disaster keeps revisiting him all night long. Every person that he meets or, you know, spends time with uh, or nearly every person does brings it up about the game being, being shit. And May is just yelling at him for all of his coaching choices. So then he goes to uh, sit down and have a beer and we see him typing out the message to Jane, uh, you know, Jane saying, Hey, you know, sorry about the match. Come and find me. You'll feel better. And he's got to go and do his own thing. And he types out a whole message that he then deletes um, and can't can't uh, send out. And then we get joined by the three hooligans, uh, regular barfly hooligans. Um, I think their names are Baz, Jeremy, and Paul. We rarely hear their names mentioned, but I took the time to actually learn their names, unlike the water boy, oh, the, yeah, <laughs> um, which I did I, look up, and his name is Will. Oh, should have been more resonant, Will. Should have, should have, should have caught that. I loved the introduction to the conversation the three of them have, which is, you know, have you ever been to Vegas? What's Ted like? And then the existential question, and just his response to it of, uh, I've been to Vegas. One night is good. Two nights is perfect. Three is too many. Ted is just a man. As for the existential, you know, like I, I love. I have a few. I have a few thoughts. Yes, and then I love the cut to, you know the simulation theory you're like oh i also because i think this was a really unusual episode of this show and i think that you know our conversations i like that we can kind of jump around from following different character threads but this one is the most kind of like linear moment to moment thing um so i also try not to find out too much about uh these shows until we get a chance to talk about it but um one thing i did learn well i guess i I, I read an interview with the actor who plays Beard and it was a short one, but he mentions at some point that his mother is a QAnon person. The the character's mother is a QAnon. Is mm. that something that you knew? Has that been brought uh, up in the show? Just feeding into these conspiracy I, theory things. I just didn't know. I was like, that's an interesting thing I didn't know. I didn't, I had no. Yeah, I didn't know if there's like a moment earlier on in like the first season or earlier in this season where it's like a throwaway comment or something because it sounded vaguely familiar. But anyway, just talking about simulation theory, which you were just going into, made me want to mention, is, is this something I've missed and everyone knows or what? So what I, I mean, the kind of every one of these scenes, especially on the rewatch, I was kind of trying to watch for, I personally was watching for more movie references, homages, 
And I was, I caught them in several scenes and we'll get to those, but um, you know, to me, this was a little bit of a, I don't know. I don't know. It was clearly to me a, a reference or a wink and a nod to the matrix in right. general. Um, and we got that a lot more in a few minutes when we get the woman in the red dress, which to me was uh, another overt oh, matrix reference. Nice poll. Yeah. So I, I kind of thought like, I guess while I was trying to decide if the episode, how much of the episode was real and how much of it was in his psyche or imagination or like where, where did the, where the episode blurs the lines between reality and, you know, whatever fantasy that beard has, has created for himself on maybe on drugs. I like, I don't really know. And I feel like there's so much this, to this episode that we'll be able to dissect like for a long time to come until we've got, you know, more, more solid grounding on it. But the introduce, introduction to like, I believe we're all living in a simulation and then kind of the next scene as they move into in the bar, there's the woman in the red dress from the first Matrix movie that they use to demonstrate to Neo that he was in a simulation. Uh, and then there was even the weird scene, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but then there was the she walked into the room with all of the TVs on it. And then all the channels started changing to watch the game, which kind of reminded me of the, um, you know, we've seen that in, I think we saw that in all of the Matrix movies, you know, seeing the TV screens all playing, but there was specifically the one with the, the architect in the second yeah. Matrix movie where he's learning about the realities that they live in. Yeah. Uh, so all of that to me kind of tied in and then just led me down this road of like, how much of this is actually real and how much of it isn't real. So yeah, because we kind of get there. The boys, they all decide to kind of get into this ex exclusive club. Um, mm -hmm. And then before they get in the club, the way they get in is by tricking the hostess into hearing the house burned down. Yeah. And I loved that fight club reference there. Like the, the you know, tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the most beautiful day of Sarah Coombs life. Yeah. Her apartment, I, her apartment will be the most beautiful apartment she's ever seen. Which is so great. But the getting into like, you know, so they get into this club. So where do you fall with thinking things are real or not real? Cause I, I, I really only thought the stuff that didn't happen was the voices, like the externalizing of thoughts, you know, hearing from other people. So particularly the commentators, that was my sort of reading. I took everything else as kind of this idea that it did happen, but I'm curious where you fell on that. I mean, obviously the commentators uh, and then the TVs all changing. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that was probably- You know, did he really jump off a roof? Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think, I guess I don't think that it was designed for us to really know. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, like, maybe the, maybe the next episode will reveal. I mean, I don't, I didn't, I don't feel like looking into next week's episode. The yeah. funeral is for Coach Beard, but unless they just completely throw a curveball at us and find out that it actually was, you know, his last night out and what we saw is different than what actually happened. Oh God, I, I hope not. I felt, I don't think that's the direction they're going to go with it. Yeah, um, I kind of and, put that to bed when at the yeah. end of the episode when he seems to have showed up, but. But I, I don't think we will get the rest of that answer because I think that the idea was, well, my takeaway was that it was just, hey, we're we're going to have a lot of fun with this. We're going to show you more about this character and we're going to do a bunch of homages to, you know, classic movies and things like that. And it's going to get kind of crazy and surreal. And 
maybe he's on, on drugs or on mushrooms or something. And so some of this is his imagination and some of it isn't, but most of it happened. Uh, and then there's some crazy things that didn't happen in between. Um, but I would say probably all of the like major structure of it probably actually did happen. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where I fall as well. Um, I did love the bit in the club where he just pulls out of his ass, a whole fake personality and identity and, what I particularly loved, one of my favorite quotes of the episode was when his hooligan buddies were like, how did you know all that stuff? And he's like, like I dated a professor or something, but he said, and I also listen more than I talk. And yeah. just that idea of like, I love spending time. A lot of my friends are, you know, several years older than me. I love being in situations where I uh, listen instead of talk. My job has transitioned. I know it's hard to believe because I record so many podcasts, but I, I really do prefer to be in situations where I'm, you know, given the opportunity to listen rather than talk um and so i just thought that that was a really powerful uh sentiment coming from him so much of his wisdom is because he listens rather than you know filling silence with his own voice yeah i had that down as one of my favorite lines of the episode as well so i took that as just a good good reminder and a good opportunity to be, to just like remember to listen more right because mm-hmm. i'm i'm i can be a talker and so it's uh, we all need that reminder. So it's just that perfect little wisdom drop like they always do. Yeah. And then adding even more to the mystique that is Coach Beard, that he at some point dated a professor from Oxford and had all of this knowledge all the way to the point where he even knew the name of the guy who was standing there. When yeah. the guy was like, I rode, uh, you know, I was on that boat that one of course you were like, of course you were and then he knew the guy's name yeah uh, he pulled it out so like that was that was incredible and then to see those guys uh uh baz and jeremy and paul have like the beginning of the night of their lives where they're you know playing pool with those guys and just that awesome moment of them hitting the eight ball right in the pocket uh after not knowing what trigonometry was it was fantastic I have to shout out the amazing electronic version of Claire de Lune that is playing as Beard wanders into the television room. Claire de Lune, perhaps my favorite piece of music of all time, um, wow. WC. Uh, I was listening to it at work here two days ago and Colette was like, I will never be able to hear this song and not think about you. So when it, <laughs> when it started playing, I just had to write down Claire de Lune, hi, hello in my notes because it's just a, a great rendition of one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written. Another, I mean, another great soundtrack to the episode yep. as well that went went all along with all the ups and downs and all the different scenes had different, very different music that kind of matched the scene. Yeah. Um, so, right, he followed the woman in the red dress to that hallway of the TVs and then sat in that room. And outside of a Matrix reference, I felt like this had to have been some other reference to something that just didn't click to me, but with all the lava lamps on the TVs, yeah yeah it was another weird surreal moment and then his pants ripped which was the transition kind of to the to the next scene um you know, where I, he gets- well him him going to that room like you know there there was something to me in this idea of you know all these hooligans have the night of their life i would you, you said and i think it's totally well said and he didn't get to do that with them mm-hmm. because he pursued this calling to a different room. Like uh, I, there, I thought there was an interesting distinction going on there with like his either desire to feel bad or to chase 
kind of a vice, either one of those, um, that wanting is what like, prevented him from really being able to like shake this thing off. Like, I don't have, there's not a concrete uh, thing going on there, but I just thought it was an interesting distinction. Like all those guys ended up having a great time and everything that their, their ability to be happy, even in a loss or just accept things allowed them to have this wonderful night. Whereas he had a bit of a catabasis, which is an idea I want to come back to. So, so I, here's what I did get out of that a bit, which was, you know, the woman in the, the red dress is kind of the mythical idea of a woman that he's, he's chasing. Right. And he's, the whole episode, he's coping with the idea of his feelings for Jane and what they mean. And, you know, is he in love with her? And why doesn't she accept his love? Well, she still seems to. She just hasn't said these words. And we've got the beginning of the introduction of the idea of that he doesn't feel he's good enough for her. Even though he said he loves her, he's still wrestling with this idea that he's good enough for is he good enough for her? Should he be looking elsewhere? Should he be chasing other women? Um, and we see when the TVs change from the lava lamps, um, they even make mention, they say that he should be going to see the woman that he loves, but he feels like he's not worthy of her. And then they even make mention right there, which was my first kind of uh-oh moment with what Jeff was talking about last week. Cause they even said, one of the guys said, I want to be the one to give him the pep talk to kill himself. Yeah. So there was just, you really got to see the play out of his internal thoughts of him going up and down with this. And I think we've probably both in our lives had this anxiety about a relationship that, you know, is budding or growing and what is it becoming and what does this person really think of me? And what do I really is think it of this right? person? Like, is it the right relationship? Is, is love just a, a veneer that, you know, rosy colored glasses or something that prevents us from objectively? Yeah. Overthinking, just I guess, is the, the very there, angsty, but. overthinking feelings about another person. That's again, it's like, is it, are these really unhealthy thoughts or are this just kind of normal thoughts that everybody has gone through at some point? or another in their life. And maybe those of us who suffer from more anxiety than others go through them worse than other people. And Beard probably has anxiety, um, you know, just as bad as the rest of us. Um, so I thought that was really interesting to follow that. And then him, for him to then lead into the next scene and follow, follow the woman in the red dress and to what that became, because it ended up being kind of, kind of a bit of a nightmare, but um, so let's take a journey forward. He rips his trousers gets kicked out of the club. The woman in the red dress is magically out on the street waiting for him. He makes a joke, you know, she points out his trousers ripped and he makes a joke about very stoically, like it makes it easier for people to kiss my ass. <laughs> uh, you know, again, we follow a more journey of who is this man? Like he is confident and weird, but doesn't hide any of it in his confidence. So they go to her apartment and then as we enter the apartment, we get like a kind of noiristic feel to it. Like she's a dame and she's talking like a dame and there's noir jazz style jazz music playing in the background. Everything about that interaction is all of a sudden it's like, you know, we, we got an old timey noir story um, going on. He drops his keys yet again and she picks them up and hands them back to her back to him. They talk a little bit about love. He talks about 
he talks about Jane almost immediately in this interaction with this woman that almost, you know, he seems like he's maybe going there to hook up with right. this woman and then immediately starts talking about Jane. She, she, they, and then they have a little interesting back and forth that I made a note of, right? She says she's loved every man in her life, but does not regret ending, a single one of them ending. And then Beard says in all of his happiest memories, he is single and it troubles him. So before we move on, what was your takeaway from that? I thought that was an incredibly poignant line. And I also, I think it was the same interaction where, you know, was that the conversation where he also says like, um, what is it? Um, is this love or do I have a problem? And she responds, can't it be both? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, both of those things kind of went hand in hand uh, to me, so, but sorry, I, my head got lost looking for that quote. What was your, the quote that you mentioned? Beard says in oh, all of his yeah. happiest memories, he's single and it troubles him. Yeah. Well, I, I think it kind of goes back in my mind to this idea of there's like a personality type called the seeker, like a seeker. It's uh, oftentimes like kind of a personality type that can end up in like cults. Um, it's kind of one that I kind of identify as kind of somebody who has uh, and a, a hole of, to some regard inside of themselves. And they're always looking to find this answer to what is that hole. But frankly there's not really a solution to it but i think that a lot of that comes back to feeling at home through seeking an answer um and that the answer oftentimes isn't the answer the answer is the you know the question um so him like at, at his happiest being single makes a lot of sense to me because also when you're single you're on the path towards finding the perfect person once you've found the person then it's the question of, are they perfect? And so it's like, there's only doubt in that situation. Whereas when you're in the journey, you're still living with this idea that there is a perfect person out there. And in reality, nobody is perfect. So that, you know, do I have a distinct answer? No, but it's kind of this ball of wax that is just all these ideas kind of coming together, which I think he's somebody who is looking for something. And that type of person does need to deal with, um, coming to some sort of reckoning with when they do think they've found something, are they able to put the seeking behind them? And I think, you know, the merits or quality of his relationship with Jane is a big question. And kind of when we get done with the summary, what you know, something I want to kind of talk about. Um, but yeah, that, that was sort of my, my feelings on it is, is some, some people are, you know, are never going to be fully happy because they like looking rather than, being satisfied if that makes any sense i'm curious where you're at with it i guess uh there's a lot to dissect from it but the it just for me it was kind of continuing his journey all the way up to the end where i feel like he finally realizes that you know jane is the one that he wants to be with and he's just gotta he's just kind of gotta let go of whatever he thinks it should be whatever he wants it to be and just enjoy it for what it is. So maybe I'm almost jumping a little bit too far all the way to the end, but kind of a bit of my takeaway from the ending in the, in the dance club was kind of the final, just let go, let loose and be with her and just be, and just ride it for what it is and enjoy it and have fun. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was just him trying to figure out like, again, like this, he's just going through this entire anxious journey of deciding if this is the relationship that he wants to put all of his eggs in this basket and how he feel really feels 
uh, about Jane and thinking about like how he's never, he has no happy memories with other people. They're all by himself and Mm -hmm. he needs to figure out how to move past that. And uh, I feel like he does by the end of this. Did you by chance pause the screen when he's okay. So, so the boyfriend of the woman who's the home he's in with shows up, gets very angry. A chase ensues. He runs out, jumps in a garbage can, gets beaten up by some people. Um, But one thing we kind of glossed over is throughout all of this, um, Jane had said, hey, I'm at a club. You should come. It'll help or something. And he's feeling bad. And that's just not what he seems to want at that time. Um, and then I was curious, did you pause to the screen and read the text messages that she had sent him after he gets beaten up and checks his phone right before it dies? I, I saw enough of it. I didn't pause it, but I saw enough of it. I saw the, you know, I love you and a bunch of messages and then like, you know, fuck you. And that was about the extent that I saw she she goes through like an emotional roller coaster, which is like, I love you. Oh, like you can't say it back now that I'm saying it. I'm doing what you want. I'm doing this for you. And then she like goes into apology mode and says like, listen, you know, like I was embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed of you. like the other day when you wanted to meet my mom. And I said, no, it wasn't that I was embarrassed of you. I was embarrassed of my mom. And then he doesn't respond. And she says, no, fuck you. I actually was embarrassed of you. Like my mom's awesome. Like she just keeps flip-flopping on all of these things. And I think there's this conversation that's been going on throughout the season, which is like when Higgins, pardon me, <coughs> when Higgins um, kind of chooses to mention to Beard that he doesn't know that that's the right relationship for him. And he appreciates that from Higgins. I think there's this, you know, idea that the, his friend's circle don't necessarily think this is the right relationship for him. And I think, you know, she bounces all over the place. And um, so anyway, I just wanted to introduce that idea because that's something I want to come back to at the end of uh, our summary on it is um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, please continue. It's, I derailed it's, us, but it's, it's, in, it's interesting. And the, the fact that like he says his memories, his happy memories are when he's single, but this entire night, he's choosing to go out by himself and, you know, be kind of solo or he goes out with the guys as a single man and has a horrible night as opposed to this entire time, you know, uh, Jane had been inviting him to come and join. And so like he had the option to choose to be with Jane, but didn't. And then went through this horrible night before he finally met up with her at the end. And it seems like she just hearing those messages, you know, went through her own, emotional roller coaster of her journey as well just like beard kind of has so they're they're two kind of broken individuals finding each other and figuring out how to make make things work um all right so going backwards just a little bit because uh i know we jumped ahead um but the you know i just i really enjoyed the that actor um getting when he answers the phone and it's this behemoth of a man uh who is you know like it's labeled don't answer on the call even and like she's just she's just toying with both of these guys like she's making her boyfriend fiance husband angry on purpose because it's i don't know it's turning her on or whatever it's doing uh and then she tells him to run and you know we get kind of our most like hangover-y type of a 
scene with him running on the roof and, and jumping off into the mm-hmm. trash. Um, then he arrives at the hotel and the hotel attendant, which was just, I felt like the scene was just kind of played up for a little comic relief because we've yeah. been going on this crazy journey. Uh, but Maybe the hotel the attendant throw away a scene in the whole thing, possibly immediately assumes he's a trickster and he's going to steal everything from him. The second that he touches his phone. Um, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Yeah. Uh, it was going to like, you're going to steal all my cryptocurrency. Yeah. <laughs> and MI5 is going to be here because of all of the images you downloaded onto my phone. And I won't, I won't let you touch my phone. Cause you're a dead ringer for Dame Judy Dench. Uh, you know, you, you saying that makes me think that, there is a theme of paranoia throughout this entire episode. At the beginning, he mentions, well, like Jane accused me of being paranoid. And then that guy is very paranoid. And after the muscular man saves him and they have that heart to heart, he's like, well, yeah, I'm just, I was paranoid because you know, that she's cheating on me because I've been cheated. on. Like there's something I, about he said, I used to cheat. Yeah. I used to cheat, but I've been working on it and I'm in a much better place now. Yeah. So I don't know, something about paranoia is a through line in this episode. Again, this episode, while being the most linear of any of the episodes, also, I think, has the most sort of unanswered questions to sit with over time. So, well, And paranoia usually comes hand in hand with anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Anxiety generally leads us to overanalyzing and overthinking things and overassuming that other people are saying or doing things that they didn't doing or they're not thinking or they're not feeling so the paranoia makes a lot of sense when you tie it in with the with the theme of the anxiety and obviously anxiety still has a big role in the show in general so we're just seeing a different manifestation of anxiety with coach beard than we see with the other characters on the show and because we never spend any time with coach beard outside of it like, is every night like this for Coach Beard? Does he right. have lots of nights <laughs> like this? Is this how his anxiety, you know, is released or explored? You know, um, that touching on paranoia again, you know, your, your talking made me think about that, like, the way that he, the, the guy that saves him says, you know, I was paranoid that she's cheating on me because I used to cheat. And there's something, a lot of like psychology or philosophy, you know, we see the world we assume that people are the same as us. Like, you know, he assumes she's cheating because he used to cheat. And I think that if we go back to that original conversation with Jane, um, he said, I love you to her. And she didn't say, I love you back. Uh, And she claims that he's paranoid. But if we take that same theory of, we assume the motives of other people are similar to our own motives. I think there's something to answering the question of her not saying, I love you is her own insecurity about does he actually love her like she can't say it because she's afraid that she doesn't actually know that he loves her i mean i think that maybe there's some of this uh the mirrored nature of paranoia and assumption of motives on other people there like just you're talking about it made me i'm kind of unpacking this idea of paranoia as a through line to the episode and i like it i i feel like that there's like i said this already but i feel like that we would potentially be able to revisit this episode to a degree. Like it's such an interesting episode in general because there's so much to unpack that it, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't be, and I'm not surprised at all that there are people who, you know, received it poorly or didn't like it because it's totally so different from the show, but then to maybe be able to come back to it later and see, just continue to explore all of the undercurrent and ideas that are still probably consistent with the show itself 
just played out in a completely different way in this experimental kind of drug trip in an episode. Yeah. Um, so as much as it was weird and such a such a shake from the norm, um, I think it is one that will be really really fun to to revisit in the future. I agree. So we alluded. I alluded to the muscular man saving him. So get us caught up there. Okay. So after he after Dame Judy Dench leaves the hotel. Um, we find him wandering down a dark alley with silhouettes in the distance, reminiscent of a clockwork orange. Um, I don't know if you got that same vibe and that same pull from it. Uh, it didn't, didn't occur to me, but it's been since high school since I've watched since that. a few years. But you can look up like the clockwork orange, uh, you know, imagery or look up like the hooligans. And there's a I mean, it was very, very close shot of the silhouettes in the distance of the hallway. Like I even said to Sarah, I was like, oh, this is like a clockwork orange right now coming up to meet these uh, these hooligans. And it turned out to be hooligans, but soccer hooligans uh, instead, which was actually Jamie's dad and his friend Bug. And I can't remember the other guy's name. And this is a part where I guess it kind of felt we were back in a lot more of a surreal portion. Like what are the odds that Beard runs into Jamie's dad on the street, as opposed to maybe this is a manifestation of all of the baggage and mental weight of the previous day or the earlier in the day of the soccer match. Right. Everything that came from the interaction with uh, Jamie's dad. Um, But, you know, Jamie's dad recognized him and is ready to beat him up and beard runs away and corners him into this alley that he walked down before, but now suddenly has no escape from whatsoever um and you know so then we get the return of the commentators and i think i wrote down yeah so the commentators then say part of me thinks beard wants to get beat up tonight and he would rather punish himself than accept the love and support of the people around him coach beard hates himself so those are the words that we get from the commentators that continue to add on to this theme of their voicing his anxiety or his inner deeper, darker thoughts as he's wrestling with everything. Um, Starts fighting with the hooligans with Jamie's dad. They get the upper hand on him. Jamie's dad picks up a steel pipe ready to, you know, seemingly kill him, crush his skull. And like, yeah, Yeah. he's going to be dead after this. And then, um, you know, that behemoth of a man returns and saves the day and beats the shit out of those guys. And then walks off with coach beard and yeah, gives him his keys. Get, well, first he gives him his phone and his wallet and says, I've been trying to find you all night, walks him back, talks exactly what we just talked about, tells him about, you know, how he's paranoid and he used to cheat and he's working on it and he's in a better place. After he says all of these things about being in a better place, he talks about the football match being shit. He's not even a Richmond fan, but that was painful to watch. And then before riding away into the moonlight on his scooter, he gives coach beard his uh, house keys once again uh, are returned to him. Yeah, I I would say that the part that got me closest to crying in the episode is the scene where he beats up the bad guys and bends over to give him his phone and wallet. Like that was just possibly emphasized by the haunting rendition of Blue Moon that was going on at the time. That's just like aching minor key version of that. But it was just like this horrible scene and not really knowing how bad it could possibly get just this act of kindness from a stranger really touched me. I thought that was like absolutely beautiful. Um, Yeah. And I just loved him coming back and yeah, just is trying to escape a character that ultimately was going to help him. And um, 
Yeah. I love the imagery of him riding away on the scooter too after all of that. Like so just the big, just big muscly man who had just professed that he's now, you know, working on being a better human being and a more sensitive individual and then rides away on a scooter. Not even a motorized scooter, but one he still has to like push with. Yeah. It's a classic razor scooter. Yeah. Um, and that's when we see Beard looking at his phone. He sees all those messages from Jane right before his phone dies. And then he melts down and then begins his journey on his walk home. He walks past the billboard, uh, the giant TV screens of that's replaying him falling over the TV monitor and then Ted, you know, clapping and cheering on the team. Then as he's almost home, um, the, the barfly hooligans show up, find him in a limo having the time of their life. Uh, we find out like how much money they want off the guys. They're like, even after we were honest with them and told them who we really were, they still invited us to Easter celebration at their house. And then we want even more money from them. And they bought us this limo. And like, they're just like, this is the best night of our lives. Well, you know, Beard's having the worst, one of the worst nights of his life. Um, and then even after having the worst night of his life, he still sends them on to have, to continue having the best night of their lives. He writes down that address for him and says, go here and knock on this door, tell him Beard sent you. Um, and then he goes to open his front door, key breaks off, starts raining as if like when it rains, it's pouring. He screams into the sky like he's in Shawshank Redemption, Redemption, runs to find the purple cross. He sees the purple cross that's in Jane's picture. And then um, he enters the church uh, and then has a little bit of a, I don't know, like a, a religious moment or of mm -hmm. some kind of his, he has an epiphany, right? He, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret's little boy. And then he talks about how greatly he cares for Jane and he could have been with her tonight, but he chose not to. Um, he knows that she isn't the answer to all of his problems, but when he's with her, the world is more interesting. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is kind of the culmination of him accepting what Jane is to him. Like he knows she's not perfect. He's not perfect. But at the end of the day, she makes his life more interesting and that's what he wants and the rain clears up and he hears the music in the club playing and heads that direction. But what was your, um, well, what, what I think is interesting is when he gets on the bus, like he sneaks on the bus and then gets kicked off the bus as they're yeah. going at one point, you can see in the reflection of the window, that cross, they pass it. I, I think that he lost his, the keys broke and he had to go to a church. Um, I kind of took it as like, you can always find refuge in a church. You can sleep there type of thing. And then it conveniently was the church where she was at. I kind of thought there was kind of a statement about, because I think there's this key metaphor going on the whole time. And I chose to look at it as this idea that like, sometimes regardless of our own actions, fate or whatever, you're going to end up, where you're going to end up. He kept losing his keys to ultimately say he wasn't going to be able to get back into his home. But even though he kept getting help and finding his keys, even though he had his keys when he got home, the key broke. Like He wasn't ever going to be getting home that night. Um, he saw that cross on the bus. Like he was circling this area the whole time. There's this sort of... Is it is it an oversimplification of the metaphor to say like home is where the heart is and he keeps um, losing his keys because he can't really go home until he figures out where his heart is. Like, yeah. Or like whether or not, I, you know, I, I, to me, it kind of goes back to this idea of like freedom of choice or 
fate or something, you know, and, and in this situation, like he was going to have this shitty journey and no matter what happened, it was going to bring him to, to the spot. And ultimately she texted him in the beginning was like, Hey, you should come to this club. Um, it's going to make you feel better. And he's like, no. And he tried not to go there the whole time, but he still ended up there. He didn't have a choice to, even though he didn't consciously in my mind, choose to go there. He like went to a church and it ended up being that church which also what church is doubling as a fetish club, but <laughs> yeah. um which I mean England yeah yeah speaks to that surrealist part of that but what I kind of you know now that we're sort of at the end of this and they he go they end up at the fetish club and she's there and he has this great hula hoop dancing scene and he kind of has the realization that you're talking about in this moment of catharsis and they are together at the end and to me the, this this whole thing is kind of dealing with she's kind of like her friends his friends don't think she's right for him he doesn't they don't think that he's a better person when he's with her and and all of that is coming from this spot that they think that they know him but i really love this idea that she did originally say like come to this club it'll make you feel better like this is where you should be and when he got there that is true like dancing and the catharsis of dancing is what cured him of all of this stuff and so i wrote down that like maybe she does know him best. Yeah. Like maybe it's not for us to know on the outside, looking in on his journey or what anyone else's relationship is. We don't have the ability to know what a relationship is for anyone. So, um, you know, all we can do as friends for anybody is just be there and support someone's decisions because kind of like him finding the church, like at some point, like we're all going to end up where we're going you know, and we can't change a person. We can only help people. And I, I like this idea that like for all of her problems and the problems of their relationship, she does kind of still know him the best. Like she was able to give him the healing that he needed to overcome this loss, even though he kept in his own mind trying to do what he thought he needed to do to heal from this loss, which is like drink and, you know, do drugs and party and like in, in a different capacity. So that to me is kind of what I pulled away from the is the main theme of this episode to me, which is this, you know, we can only support one another. And, you know, like we don't really ever know what's fully going on inside somebody else. I think that's kind of also been a theme of this whole season, but yeah, like I, I really liked that he ended up there. I liked the moment of religious catharsis and then finding the club. I was like, Oh my God, is he going to like walk in and see her having sex with somebody else was my fear, but um, <laughs> became a, a different thing. And I just love them. Like as soon as he starts dancing like a lunatic and like, I just, that yeah. whole scene was so great to me. Yeah. The great music playing too. And yeah. just, you know, she, she was, he was looking for her and was still kind of, like he walked in, right? And he's looking around, shoulders slumped and doesn't see her. And then he just finally decides to just start dancing. And as soon as he kind of just lets go of all of the baggage that he'd been carrying and just started dancing, then suddenly she was there. And then she had the hula hoop for him. And then like, who knew Beard was such an amazing hula <laughs> hooper, uh, hoopist, um, has a great routine on stage and his pants look amazing while he's doing it too. Um, that was a great moment. He points over to the commentators who are, you know, at the bar getting food. And one guy's like, you know, they have food here for me. They do. Yeah. Um, but the commentators had nothing left to say. Right. So that was kind of, to me was his, his, his inner thoughts is kind of being at peace. Finally. Yeah. Totally it's like, agree. you know, we're here and like everything else, we can just be quiet and we can just enjoy our meal. Um, 
then they have a moment where him and Jane are kind of circling each other and then they smile and then they just begin to dance the night away. And, uh, you know, Beard seems to be over it at that point. Meanwhile, I just want to jump to the side for a second. We get our, we get back to our boys yeah. that arrive at their destination and just this fantastic buildup of uh, knocking on the door and the creepy old guy answers it and just says to turn it on. And then they walk down this, um, old kind of London underground tunnel. Uh, and they're like, are we in heaven? And he says, no, it's Nelson Road. And then the queen, we are the champions, start playing as they just cap out the greatest night of their lives. And like, yeah. that was just a ton of fun to give kind of a side story to the episode. Like we were mainly on Beard's journey, but to, to these guys' journey was just fun as well because they are, they're a unit. Like they're all friends together maybe representing a bit of togetherness and friendship, but um, just, just good to see these guys get their moment. Cause we know ne- we rarely ever get more than a couple of lines from them of it's like one right. dimensional characters in the background. Uh, so to see them having so much fun in this episode and just get there, like this is the greatest night of their lives and it will, will be probably forever. forever or for a long time is this, <clears throat> this incredible night that they'll probably be telling stories of at the bar for, you know, the next decade plus to come. So that was, that was a lot of fun, a nice little distraction from the craziness that's all going on. So I have a question for you about the final scene, which is the next morning beard makes it there. albeit a couple minutes late. He's got the coffee. He always comes through. He's, a, he's uh, like a mailman. Yeah. Looks great in shorts. Um, always delivers. But Blasso makes everybody watch the game and he says a quote, that is something to the effect of once in a while there is a blue moon so horrible and catastrophic that all you can do is watch it with the Benny Hill music playing. So I'm curious, do you, how do you feel? And then Beard, he's like, I've already seen this night enough. And he puts the hat over him and starts to sleep. How do you feel about Ted Lasso's coaching philosophy with dealing with that loss? Are we still dealing with this conversation that like Beard needs to elevate himself and be challenging Ted? How do you feel about Ted's kind of being like you know sometimes you lose and it's just funny like do you think that is the healthy way to do it or i mean like because also wallowing in the negativity which is sort of what beard did um you know did is it's argumentative how how much that can actually help or whatnot so i'm just curious where you where you fall because last week we did kind of talk about is that maybe what's going to come out of this is beard elevating himself to need to challenge ted's coaching style we didn't we didn't really get the catharsis of the coaching part, right? It did seem like this episode maybe was going to be a lot about coming to terms with coaching. And instead it was a lot more about Beard coming to terms with his relationship with Jane with Mm -hmm. some of that as, you know, some of the side commentary. I I would be surprised if that wasn't a dead issue yet. Like if if that was a dead issue, Mm -hmm. I would, I, I have to imagine they're going to do spend more time on the coaching However, also being a, a sports fan, you know, we both have probably seen plenty of games where like the team that we're rooting for just has Stomped. an embarrassing game, right? They get they get blown out by the other team and maybe the team that blew them out is a team that shouldn't even have beat them. They just that just happens in sports. There are just horrible blowout games that everybody's embarrassed and is reeling from. And those are usually kind of one-offs. Those are once in a blue moon type of events most of the time so i didn't think that i thought that lasso's approach to it was just kind of like you know what we got our asses handed to us so we are going to move on from this loss like we have a lot they have a lot to learn still 
but there's probably at a certain point, there was not a whole lot to learn from that game in particular, because they just completely outright failed and it was cascading failure. So after they're losing by five, six, seven points, you're not going to learn anything because the team was already in a complete spiral at that point. And it was, uh, it was just out of control and the loss. So I think that's all fine, but they definitely need to, I, I feel certain that they're going to revisit that they need to learn how to be quality soccer coaches. So in your talking about that, we haven't really talked about the visual metaphor that reoccurs throughout the entire episode of a giant blue moon following him and Ted Lasso's statement about once in a while, there's a blue moon so horrible and catastrophic. All you can do is kind of laugh at it. And that is also Beard's night. You know, it is such a horrible, catastrophic, seriously devastating thing, but it's really comical as well because it's just how bad can this shit get so you know i think all of that is a a great instance of the way that this show can kind of braid individual narratives together so that we're all kind of dealing with the same thing do you think ted was suggesting that we should rewatch the episode at 10 times speed with benny hill playing (laughs) i think it syncs up with the episode like uh dark side of the moon with uh, wizard of oz i'm sure they're they're so yeah, meta. I, I would I would believe it. Um, so what I started doing after the first time I made it through this episode um, was trying to make trying to look up mythology, Greek mythology, uh, the Odyssey, and look at like the journey into the underworld, which is an idea called catabasis, which is um, part of the sort of metaphorical hero's journey, which uh, you know generally in the acquisition of an object or a learned lesson, one has to go into the underworld, be haunted by the ghosts of their failures and that which has been lost to them in this, you know, devastating event, you find something and then you return back to the world of the living or your current life. Um, That's this idea. It's called catabasis. Uh, Justin had mentioned it, you know, like we've talked about it a little bit on the comic podcast, but um so I was hoping to find like some metaphorical direct comparisons of some of the characters that he meets with, with, you know, like the Odyssey or some of the myths that directly, I didn't find anything like that, but it does still feel like the idea of this, like ultimately the truth that he found in that moment in the church is like you said that like, she just makes life more interesting. And maybe that's on the topic of like oversimplification. Maybe it doesn't ever need to be more complex than that, you know? Um, and he kind of finds that truth and then it comes to the church or the, the, the party and dances and they have this wonderful time. I, I don't know. I just, this episode was so surreal and so interesting and unique that I had to start looking at like, you know, myth and storytelling as sort of like, what is this kind of drawing on um, outside of like film references and stuff. So that was just an interesting thing I wanted to throw in there. Yeah. I, um, I did, I did like just capping off the end of the episode too was when Beard does put his legs up and he shows off his sparkly pants. Like a lot of what I looked at in the episode, like we've mentioned before, is just like how much of these guys are just having fun with all of these, you know, film references, like a, like our favorite episodes of community or something. And so Beard putting his pants up uh, on the table and Ted noticed it for a second was that acknowledgement. And you've seen it in like uh lots of old movies or TV shows when somebody like wakes up from a dream and they're like, Oh, was it a dream all along? And then like, you know, 
they pull out the right. baseball glove from but underneath the their pillow or something. So the pants was like the little wink and a nod confirmation that, it oh yeah, happen. this all happened. This yeah. was all real uh, with just that final Ted acknowledging it and noticing it, but then, but then moving on from it. Um, man, what a, what a weird episode. Yeah. And you know, one, other interesting thing is because I did I looked at an interview which I don't generally do on this for this show because things that are this close to my heart um when I actually start to find out fact about them it removes some of what I project on it to make it so good so I, I was trying not to do that but I just was like kind of really interested in just like and I kind of found ultimately a statement within this interview that answered some questions to me which is when they were writing the show um, for this season, they kind of in the writer's room come up with like a bunch of ideas for episodes and they usually will have like 20 or so and then they whittle it down to the 10 episodes they want to do. When this was greenlit for a second season, Apple TV asked them to extend it from 10 episodes to 12 episodes. And so it was up to Jason Sudeikis to make that decision and to decide what those extra two were going to be. This was not going to be one of the 10 original episodes. And so when it was extended from 10 to 12, this was one that was added on there, and I bet you can guess what the other one was. Is it the one that I didn't like? Well, it was the Christmas episode, which we did oh, like. Oh, it was a Christmas. But, okay, that makes but, sense. But they both stand as one-off episodes. Yeah. And I just thought that was a really interesting thing that, like, was the amount of information I was looking for, which was just sort of like, I don't want to know what you guys think this episode is about, the writers, but I, it helped me to be like, oh, yeah, they they found out after their original kind of framing for it that they had two extra episodes. So they kind of do want, got to do some extra things that they had pitched but decided weren't going to make it. And it was the Christmas episode and this beard episode. And I thought like that just made a ton of sense. And I'm so glad they did get to do it. It's very uh, like British, British sitcom-y or it's, it's pretty un-American of television for them to do that because these were now that you say that it really stands out as something that you would see you know like the office christmas special Mm -hmm. or something like that where there's there's a season of 10 episodes for a lot of british sitcoms i think even like letter kenny did this for like canadian tv shows where you have your 10 episode season and then you have a completely standalone christmas episode right or another special episode these are both kind of special episodes but they were carefully inserted into the rest of the season that could potentially not exist and maybe have no impact on the overarc of the show, but are just kind of interesting file, you know, fun journeys. Right. Um, you know, like reading a one-shot comic that's just a spin-off from another story where you don't have to read it to get the main picture of what's going on. But it's going to try something a little bit different. It's going to have a lot of fun with it while you do it. And you know, at the end of the day, if you didn't like it it doesn't really matter that much because it's not a part of what's going on ultimately but it's still building on a lot of the ideas that exist within the show and we got two extra episodes out of the season so like ultimately that's just episodes of yeah absolutely. even if one of them is a crazy wild surreal ride so on that note like what's your where would you you mentioned that you can see some people would rank this as maybe one of their bottom mm-hmm. couple of episodes where does this episode sit for you like in the kind of grand scheme? You don't necessarily have to exact place for it, but I'm curious, did you, do you overall, do you like the episode? Did you not like the episode? Did it, did you like it, but it bothered you because it's so tonally different from what we expect out of the show? 
it certainly didn't bother me. Um, and I definitely enjoyed it. And I think that exploring Beard's character is a really important thing because we're exploring Ted and even, you know, like the therapist, like got a pretty heavy episode last week. Um, it makes sense that we would spend this time with Beard. Um, I do love the interaction of all of the cast and I love kind of jumping between those stories in the, the other episodes. But I generally don't approach something like this episode and feel like I don't like it. It's more to me, this becomes a question, like with comics as well. Like I was, I, it makes me ask a lot of questions of like, why does this exist the way that it does exist? And when I don't have that clear answer, it kind of makes me very excited to do exactly what we've done here, which is talk about it, which allows me to pour, pull some more metaphor out of it and ultimately make it a teaching moment in my own life. So I think in some regards, it was less fun than a general Ted Lasso episode, but I think it might have more um, gold to be mined long-term than some episodes do in the show. So I, I, I love that it exists. I, I think that on a rewatch of this show, you know, that's one that like would be closer to skipping for me, but I mean, like I've watched it twice I'm always like kind of hyperactive. So when I watch a show, I'm always kind of on my phone as well. But Ted Lasso is this thing that like, I can have my phone there, but I'll find myself 30 minutes into the episode being like, I haven't been tempted to be on my phone at all. Like, <laughs> and even so, so too on the rewatches. And that was happening with this one. I was still so invested in this episode that I wasn't tempted to be on my phone. So, you know, in the grand scheme of Ted Lasso, is it in the lower chunk? Yeah. But I also like a Grant Morrison comic or a Jonathan Hickman thing. Like I, I don't think that my enjoyment is immediately based on getting something. And I think oftentimes I like the mystery of an ambiguous episode in the long run, you know, a year from now, I might kind of like you were saying a year from now, this one might be more meaningful to me personally. And it also had a lot of kind of like personal stuff. Like you and I were talking about anxiety or relationship questions that I, I, are on a personal level, a thing that I deal with a lot. So I do, I really liked it. But I would say, you know, probably bottom 25% of Ted Lasso episodes. But, you know, that's still in the 9 to 10 range of an episode for me. Yeah, I think that, like, trying to look at it in different ways, um, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't have a lot of the Ted Lasso stuff that we love about the show in it, but it still does deeper character dives and, uh, you know, specifically one character uh, ask a lot of those questions. So if I'm just generally thinking about it from like a rewatchability standpoint, I, I, I enjoyed it probably more the second time through mm -hmm. because you kind of already know what's coming. And so you're really just kind of looking for more, um, you know, gold to mine out of it. If I was just watching, you know, the same way that I would watch an episode of Scrubs or you know, Community or The Simpsons, if it was just on regular TV and it came on, if this episode came on, I'm probably more likely to say like, eh, what else is on? Or, or right. maybe just tune out and not pay attention. But if I was doing a, a rewatch of the show where I was really paying attention to it again, I would probably be, be even more interested to dig into this episode even further because I feel like there's a lot more. So from a casual watch perspective, I don't think it's, you know, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Maybe it's the lower, you know, 25%, even like you said, 
um, just from a casual watch perspective, but on a rewatch perspective, it would be one that I would be like almost anticipating getting to because I know there's a lot that I'm really going to be looking into and digging into where there's other episodes that are just a lot more superficial or jokey or the one episode that, you know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that I was like, yeah, you know, I can take or leave some of the stuff from this episode where it was getting a little bit more tropey. Like there was a lot, there could potentially a lot uh, less going on in those episodes for me to continue to look over and pour over and find more, more meaning out of. So it definitely takes on an interesting life of its own to figure out where it lands in that, uh, in, in, the you know list of good and bad episodes and everything in between yeah i'm gonna challenge us to rank all 22 episodes when season two is done as we're going through these things um but i think you're exactly right on the money there which is from a casual watch perspective i would be maybe more inclined to look where what else is on because i am excited to do the work with this episode and i think there's more work to be done with it than most episodes and i that's one of the reasons i love art in general Will, we got an email from a listener. Just a just a just a an affirmative email from somebody who listens to the Perfectly Acceptable. Usually podcast. I'm the one, usually I'm the one who sends the emails. That's Jeff, true. What is this? This is true. Is well, this? and anybody else listening, if you've made it three episodes into Ted Lasbros with us, whether it's on a separate feed or the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast feed, send us an email. Even just say that you're out there listening, which is mostly what this is. This is from Brian Garside, a bit of a computer wizard. Um from outside of Washington, but uh, he says, Hey, Jeff and will just wanted to confirm that you officially have listeners, plural. Oh. I am here for Ted last bros. I'm so glad this series is going, uh, is going to only go three seasons. It's very much the BBC model where we got amazing shows like the office coupling and more modern shows like Luther and Sherlock give three tight seasons of character development and leave them wanting more. I have to say Apple is firing on all cylinders. The morning show mosquito coast and mythic quest are all incredible shows. And you guys really need to check out mythic mythic quest. Anyway, great show gentlemen and keep it up. That's awesome. Brian. Yeah. Thanks Brian. I love mythic quest. Actually. I, I think it's, I think it's great. The first season was a little bit rocky for me because of such a dramatic shift of, um, um, Rob, uh, I can never remember sell McKellen Henny. Yeah, Whatever. something like that. Yeah. Mac. Uh from Always Sunny. It's such a character shift um, from Always Sunny to Mythic Quest. But the second season was so good because they just they really dove into his character and found out that he actually does have a heart and built just an incredible relationship with his uh co-vice president there. We just finished watching it a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was fantastic. So, um, And we also heard from Sean. I mentioned I sent you a screenshot of the text. He was very excited about the show and our dynamic. Um, and he said after that, that we absolutely need to do a full episode just about Juno Temple and the character of Keeley. And I was like, oh, we will do that. But you have to be on it with us. So he was like, all right, I'll do it. Um, but he's a huge fan of that actress, has been for a long time. And uh yeah, you know, in the interim period between season two and three, I think we'll find all sorts of ways to put random episodes out there. So, absolutely, I think I think that would be a lot of fun to do that with Sean. And uh, you're right, like we're going to have a lot of time to kill between seasons two and season three. So, ranking episodes, rewatching the previous episodes, uh, doing individual episodes dedicated to characters, and you know, their best moments are just breaking them down as a character would be would be really interesting to break down Keely as a character and her mm-hmm. growth. And same thing with, you know, Roy and with Nate and 
uh, everybody else we see on the show. So that would be that would be a lot of fun. I'd definitely love to have Sean on here with us. So as we get out of here, thank you all for listening. Drop an email at Jeff at the comics place. That's the best way to make sure I get an email that's official. Um, but Will, as we go out, what is your gym to, to pull out of this episode? What is your quote? What is the thing that like stands out, you know, that like, you know, a year from now, if someone mentioned this episode, kind of the quote that would stand out for you? Um, that I should have ripped pants because that makes it easier for people to kiss my ass. That's a good one. That's a very good one. I think I'm kind of torn between um, just his statement of I dated a professor at Oxford and I listen more than I talk, just as a really great reminder for all people to listen more than we talk. And then the the quote of, is that love or do I just have a problem? And can't it be both? Um, yeah, I uh, those are fantastic. And I, I will say, if I'm more serious, it's the uh, with Beard reflecting on himself and asking um, why why all of his happiest memories are when he's single yeah. and him being able to have that that self-reflection. Uh, all, all powerful moments. And I, the, the one that I will really leave us on for final here, though, is I don't know if you know this, but Ted Lasso has a Twitter account. Oh God! I didn't learn this until yesterday when I was, or this morning when I was looking up Emmy results and found Ted Lasso Twitter account. Twitter account. I don't have Twitter, but it's fun to just pull it up. So I, I would love to leave us with uh, this Ted Lasso quote from Twitter: um, "Winning is fun, but if you find a family along the way, you can't lose." See you next week. See you next week. See you next week.